When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 169, The Front End Developer Roadmap Revisited, because we did something similar to this in the past. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week, Mike will actually be going through a roadmap. So, a bunch of different things, like computer skills, and different uh, other tools we use, like NPM, and Git, and Docker, and Linux, and a whole bunch of stuff. We're just going to be touching on, we're not going to be teaching all this, or otherwise we'd be literally here for longer than all our episodes combined in length, and then we'd somehow start talking about I don't know, crypto or bubbly or whatever, which is the Canadian version of LaCroix, I believe, sparkling <laughs> water, and, and then it would just go off the rails, and then we'd fall asleep, and it'd be a disaster. So, we're going to be touching on each of these things. Might skip a couple here and there, but it, this is going to be sort of a fill-in episode, so if you want to know how to become a front-end developer or what things you might touch as a front-end developer, might use as a front-end developer, this episode's for you. So, if you're interested in this... Because you should be, and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now, Mike, please, sir, take it away. First roadmap tip here, computer skills. Take it away. All right. So I, I just want to give a, a little bit of an overview of why I wanted to do this episode. Um, a lot a lot of people have reached out asking, hey, how do I get into web development? Like, what should I learn next? Stuff like that. Like, I've had... At this point, probably at least a hundred, maybe hundreds of questions in terms of like, how do I get in and what do I learn first? And I wanted to make another episode because we did already have an episode. I believe it was like episode 10 or 16 or so, I don't know. Like it was in the first 20 where we did this front end developer roadmap discussion where we went through like, hey, this is what you learn first. This is what you learn second. This is what you learn third. And uh, nothing's changed too drastically from that. But I did want to update a few of the little technical things like for us, we have gone through some of this now, like before we were early on in the development cycle, but now we're kind of approaching the later end of the roadmap. So we have, I have a little bit more insight to say stuff has been like updated. There's new frameworks now like Svelte. So I want to talk about that, obviously, because we just had a course with where we created a Svelte course. So there's that. And then there's another thing that kind of added to the end of it, which is Web3, which I want to have a little bit of discussion on as well when we get there. But Obviously, when I say like this is a roadmap or this is like, you know, a, essentially a, a list of steps to take, I'm not saying that this is the only list of steps. This is just something that I kind of came up with that made sense to me based on the research that I did, based on how we learned stuff that we did wrong. In fact, I'm kind of like reorganizing it a little bit for people that I think will make it easier for them to go through. I'm also going to be talking about when you can start like monetizing your skills. Because I think something that's lost a lot in the developer roadmap conversation is the fact that you don't need to go through the developer roadmap <laughs> completely start to finish to start applying your skills and you know providing value to customers potentially or getting a job. So that's what I'm going to be breaking down. But let's get right into it right here. So the first thing that you're going to need if you want to be a front end web developer is computer skills. And this one 
might be like, okay, you should have left that off because obviously you need computer skills to work on a computer. But if you're coming into this blank, like zero skills, like you are a, I don't know, like you worked in a factory before, or you were a cook like me, I was a cook before, or you were something that was not to do with computer related stuff. Maybe you used a computer for fun, maybe you used a computer for whatever. You do need to update your skills a little bit because all the knowledge-based tools, like all of the classes, all of the um, all of the courses that you're going to take, all the YouTube videos you're going to watch require you to have at least some understanding of stuff like the command prompt or the CLI, right? You need to have some understanding of that. You have to have some understanding of just basic UI infrastructure. Like if you're on Windows, what's the start menu? And I, I, I say that and you might be laughing out there like, oh, what's the start menu? But Matt and I legitimately had someone in our class that was a computer engineering course. It was it was like a third year computer engineering course, I think. It was it was in there anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it was in there. Like it wasn't a first year. And there was this was a person that didn't know where the start menu was. So of course they were not set up to succeed. It was someone that transferred in, yada yada. There was a reason for that. But regardless, like it's going to be very difficult for you if you don't know the basic infrastructure of a computer system, like a computer UI, I think. And not obviously you don't need to know like how a processor works, but if you know how to navigate a computer in terms of in the basic terms that a computer is used to navigate, like start menu, command prompt, uh, trying to think of other stuff, Matt, do you have any? Yeah, actually, uh, a small story even uh, in, in the same, not in the same course, but in the same program uh, in a different course where we were learning Linux. I remember it was our second lesson ever and we had never used Linux uh, in the command line ever in the course. And I had never done it myself prior to that date. And I remember it was the second one. And I guess we had learned Vi, like VI uh, in the first one ever, which is obviously your basic text editor. I know many people use Vim, yada, yada. But anyway, we were using Vi, VI. And I had used it once and that was like a week prior and we went into the next course and I was trying to do something. I forget what it was. I think we were messing with the uh, configuration of some sort of program and you were supposed to like use your skills from last week with, with VI. Obviously, I didn't remember that. So the teacher was like, OK, like, you know, you found the directory, you know, where now go in and edit it. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, just use like the text editor. And I was like, what's that? And he, all he did was look at me and then walk away. And so I guess it was like a, a thought of disappointment, like, oh, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know anything because Vi, Vim, whatever, is sort of as crucial in a way as the start menu is to Windows. But if you think about it, it's like I had tons of experience with Windows, it, fixing it, working with it, installing it, uninstall, whatever, like a whole bunch of experience with Windows. It was Linux, which was a huge hole in my knowledge, which was obviously being filled in by education. But it's like. It's hard for him to realize, like, holy crap, like, this guy's never done, like, Vi. But for me, it's like, man, I wasn't born knowing what VI was. Like, I wasn't born knowing the Linux commands. And so it's just one, <laughs> there's one little story that, like, compares me to that person that didn't know where the start menu was or what the start menu was. Because it's hard to communicate that with somebody, especially when something's brand new. And it always comes down to... And I'll cut it off here, but it always comes down to that thing where I always say, I'm jumping into a new framework or a new plugin or a new program or a new editor. And they say something like, just press the, like, or uh, they'll say something like, just pre just compress the images or something. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, where is that? Like, I don't know where that is. 
or just simply edit this file and I go searching for it and I can't find it because they've changed the name slightly and the documentation isn't up to date and I don't know where to put my files. I don't know where to edit my files. I don't know how to interact with it. But to that person or that group or that company that built that plugin or that program, it is so second nature. And it's second nature to the users as well, the experienced users more importantly, that to them it's like, what do you like, what do you mean you don't know where the config file is? Like, what do you mean you don't know where the start menu is? What do you mean you don't know where Vi or VI is? And it's the same, it's the same, it's the same thing. So I don't know, that's my little tidbit. And that's, there you go. <laughs> I will say that like, like if you're a Linux person, then yes, knowing what Vi is is important, but you don't need to be a Linux person to get started with web development, right? So if you're a Mac person or a um, or a Windows person, you don't need to know what Vi is to get started at least for sure. Maybe down the line, and I'll talk a little bit about CLI, uh, it'll be a little bit lower down, which is command line interface then you need to know a little bit, but you at least, what I was more saying is that you at least need to know what the command prompt is. Cause like Matt was saying, the people that are going to be teaching you are going to assume you have zero knowledge in web development, but their assumption is going to be that you understand basic computer knowledge. And so when they, if they try to, you know, go to you and try to explain to you what the command prompt is or what the terminal is, that's going to be an issue for you starting out rather than you actually knowing all the commands of the terminal, that's not required at all. You at least need to know what that tool that you're going to be using is. Same with an operating system, same with programs on that operating system. Like as crazy as it is, I'm, talk I'm obviously talking to people that most of you out there know what these things are and are they're second nature to you. So you're you're probably listening to this and being like, you're crazy. Like why would why would I why would I even say that? But I'm telling you there are people out there and probably a big percentage that are going to be starting out in web development with zero computer skills. So they're going to need to first up their knowledge of computer skills and then jump into web development. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, exactly. So with that, the next thing, the next step that you would take if you want to be a front-end web developer is very logical. You want to learn a little bit about HTML and CSS. So HTML and CSS are the kind of two of the three pillars of web development in general. They're, the, they're in charge of the layouts, how, the website, how your website looks, how your website looks in mobile, how your website looks in uh, in regular desktop, like all, across all the different screen sizes. They're in charge of what's displayed on your website initially. So what content is there? And with those two skills, you kind of have the power of creating something that can be online, right? Like that can actually be a tool or some sort of service or some sort of page, like a web page that can be placed online. So they're super important. Their core, their core competency skills when you're starting out. And I, I would learn them again in the same order that I said: HTML, then CSS. But you, you want to, you probably will go back and forth while you're learning those skills. You want to, you know, figure out a little bit of HTML, style it with CSS, then go back to the HTML, yada yada. Once you get a basic understanding of that, I think you can move on to the next one. With the next one, so if you want to have HTML and CSS, I would say, and this one is optional, I even wrote optional here, you can go and kind of start learning a little bit about UI frameworks, stuff like Bootstrap, stuff like Material UI, stuff that essentially allows you to uh, take a pre-built component, a pre-built like visual component, or visual uh, UI system that like a grid system or a column system like what Bootstrap has, 
and make your layouts a little bit faster. That's essentially what it gives you, a little bit faster and a little bit more uh, color. Like it gives you a, a little bit of a design system in place for you. That Because when you're first starting out, my assumption is you're probably not going to be a designer as well. So it's a little bit difficult for you to understand best practices. So this is where you can kind of leverage other tools to figure out not only, hey, I'm gonna, I can create a site that looks pretty decent, but you can figure out best practices that they use to implement yourself. I would actually say, I don't want to like kind of toss something else in here too, is if you get your basic HTML and CSS skills, you're obviously lacking the skills necessary to, to, if, if you've only done this so far, if you, to like say connect or even use a CMS, even if it's pre-made, right? So you, you certainly can't make one and you're going to have struggle to put it together. So let's just say that you're anchored in your HTML and CSS. You can do quite a bit of stuff though. You can make really modern looking static sites. You can make really cool looking animations and you have a lot at your disposal. Like you can make the user interface for a lot of things at the end of the day. I will say that one of the telltale signs, I suppose, that I wanted or needed a UI framework was not that, hey, I finished HTML, CSS, let's move on to something else. One of the things for me was I, I just got sick of building out the same type of pages again. So with HTML and CSS, it's obviously very sort of raw, if you will. If I'm not taking a common style sheet around with me that I use for for layouts, I'm just doing the same thing over and over again, and I'm reinventing the wheel. I got to set up this. I got to, uh, I forget what they call it now, but it's like norm normalize the browsers or whatever, where I like take away the the padding and the margin that the, the browser will by default put on the body tag or whatever, right? Like all that type of stuff. I have to sort of zero it out. And doing that over and over again made me go, okay, like this project's coming up. I want to get this done. Maybe there's a tight deadline, irrelevant, really. I want to get this done. What do I use? And I went to Bootstrap at the time because it was just something that had pre-made components. This person wasn't picky. This client wasn't picky. And I just went for that. And then even though there's a learning curve involved, my learning curve is like, how do I get this box to work? How do I get this box to work? And then, you know, in a couple of tries, like, oh, now I understand how these content boxes work. And now I can kind of paste them, if you will, everywhere with slight variations as needed. And that just sort of ends it. So to me, that's what it is. Now, I will say there's a difference in, in path here, though, is I was doing this just for clients. And for the most part, the clients don't care because they don't, they're not technically savvy. They just want the site out and that, and that just sort of the end of their, their thing. I want this done. You do it and then I'll pay you. Right. Uh, but if you're out there and you're learning HTML, CSS is your first step. And then your second step is, you know, UI frameworks. That might be a good path for you because if you have a, a job in mind or you're trying to get into the job market and you see a lot of jobs in your area or wherever you're applying to that needs bootstrap, that might make sense. So just as a, you know, as a general advisement, if you're freelancing, use the tool that's best for you and use the tool that you think you're going to need. And, you know, certainly research and look into stuff here and there to don't just stay in your comfort zone, but use the tool that's right for you to get the job done. If you're trying to get into somebody else's company, so you're trying to work for someone else, your roadmap will vary in that way where, hey, you know, nine out of 10 jobs I'm looking for require material UI, nine out of 10 jobs that require Bootstrap, I better learn Bootstrap as a part of my learning, even though I don't quote unquote need it to make user interfaces, I better learn it. So just use your own circumstance to guide yourself into something like this. Yeah, I like that. I like that guided path. And, and the other thing that I like that you mentioned is that like 
natural movement into these things. So like you use HTML, CSS, and then you're naturally like, well, how do I make this easier? And then you use bootstrap material or whatever. And then after that, you kind of go to like, well, how do I, I don't want to keep building this page out over and over again when my client asks, how do I make this easier? And then you go to the CMS side. And I'll get to that really, really soon, in fact, because of that kind of progression, that natural progression that you have when you're working with clients, when you're working on a project, whatever, like you, you eventually almost like have this aha moment that of being like, oh, that's when I use this tool. And that's what I think is kind of important about this discussion to give that aha moment a little bit sooner for you, or at least give you a, a roadmap of when you're going to reach that moment. With that, the next thing to do is to just understand the basics of hosting. Because like Matt said, having HTML and CSS and then a UI framework, or it's optional, again, you don't need to, you can do everything in HTML and CSS, means that you can create a full-on functioning static site. And you can do a lot with that, like a ton with just those two things. And if you can then do that and put it online, that is a monetizable set of skills because now you can go to mom and pop shop down the road and be like, hey, I can make your website. Like what's stopping you? Well, basic hosting is stopping you. That's why this is the next step. That's like HostGator or Netlify Pages or something like, you know, very simple to use basic hosting that will allow you to essentially just get a basic site with HTML, CSS onto the web. So you need to know in the basic hosting realm of things, you'll need to know a little bit about DNS as well, a little bit about uh, domain names in general, like buying a domain name with GoDaddy or whatever other service you want to use. So there is a little bit around basic hosting. But once you understand that, you have, in my opinion, a monetizable set of skills that you can definitely either, like Matt said, if they're, if they're available, like jobs are available in these set of skills for sure, maybe not tons, but there are some. And or freelancing path opens up because again, you know, Jim and Bob down the road might need a website. You can go to them and monetize your skills right away. So I think, I think that's where I'm focused on with this is like you have these little subsections of the roadmap. And look, I only talked about, you know, computer skills, HTML, CSS, UI frameworks is optional and basic hosting. Boom. Monetizable. Don't, don't be afraid to try to earn some money as you move along your path that in my opinion that's a great way to motivate you because if you try to get down the entire roadmap without earning a single dollar you you're probably going to get burnt out and you're you're not going to be good for anyone because you're going to be so like you, your knowledge is going to be so all over the place and so i don't know like it's just going to be you're going to be like almost like a senior developer but without any experience so it's going to be difficult to hire you honestly i when i'm hiring or when i've hired before I kind of like a little bit of raw, a little bit of like early on in the career if you're looking for a junior. And when you get that, because you can kind of guide them into the right direction. But if you've already gone through the whole thing and you don't have, you haven't had a, like a, a chance to monetize, it's difficult because again, you're kind of, you're getting set in your ways. So that's just a little tangent I wanted to go on again, the monetization tangent, try to try to pick up a job, try to try to pick up a client, something like that, because it'll for sure motivate you to the next step. I think the monetization step also it 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 is it's tied in with traditional education and and imposter syndrome. Uh, so I'll I'll go with go with that. So I'll expand on that. So basically, what I'm thinking is is let's just say you start doing uh, shop class in in school. So let's just bring it down to something that's easy in materials, like a shelf. The concept of a shelf is a wood shelf is rather easy. If you go to your first shop class and with guidance and this and that. You learn how to make a shelf, and then in the second half of that course, 
you make your own shelves. First one's guided. Second one, you just ask for tips and, you know, whatever. I need some help with this. I don't understand why this isn't working. But for the most part, you bake that shelf yourself. You're going to be able to make some shelving for people. So if someone's like, hey, I like that shelf you built. Can you make me another one? You literally can. And because you have a little more skill, you could probably make one with slight variance. But you would not be able to make something that says, hey, NASA called me up and said, I need a wooden shelf that literally requires it to never move even under earthquake conditions, and it has to be able to hold 10,000 pounds. You don't know anything about the weight stuff. You don't know the materials that would be required. You don't know how to make it not shake. So you can't do that. The same type of concept can be applied to a website. So you know your HTML, your CSS, your JS, you know maybe some bootstrap, you know this, or maybe you don't even know JS, you know, whatever, it's irrelevant. You know how to make a good UI of a static site and someone needs, someone needs a business card site. You are able to fully do that. And you're able to go in with those skills and do that. The reason why I mentioned traditional education is because I think what a lot of people do with imposter syndrome is if they're learning web development self-taught, they think like, you know, I don't have that like, you know, college university. I don't have this and that. I don't have like that boot, that boot camp. I don't have a, a, a traditional or even newfangled, you know, quote unquote, official way of learning. I don't have a certificate from this college. I don't have a certificate from this. I don't have. And so you start going into that imposter syndrome thinking, shit, if I just had that, this education, if I just had this degree, if I just had this diploma, if I had this, if I had this, that I had this, then maybe, maybe I'd be able to do everything. Here's the thing though. When you leave a college, like when Mike and I left our college, there's no way that we knew all the stuff that we should ever know about microcontrollers. We learned a lot about them, but we learned a lot about one or two. When we built our own project in the final semester, we learned a bunch of stuff that we didn't learn from the school. And so there's like this imposter syndrome tied with traditional education in that I think a lot of people, and this is just my theory, that I think a lot of people think, you know, I'm self-taught, like, I only know, like, you know, these three skills, like, I don't really know what I'm doing, and they think if they just go to school, they'll expand their knowledge. That might be very true, depends, you know, every school's different, every person's different, everyone learns different, that might be very true, but I think that the, the, the ruse or the, uh, the paranoia, or I don't really know how to describe it, but the thought, I suppose, in that if you think that by going to a traditional education for web development is going to teach you literally everything you need to know about web development, then like by the time you graduate, you're going to be good. Mm, like you have a piece of paper now and you do know skills. Like, of course they teach you stuff. You do know skills, but you don't know everything. And with a boot camp, they teach you generally, not always, they generally teach you one stack. Well, there's, you know, 10 stacks on the table that you might want to use or three stacks or this and that, or there's a new, there's a new way to do things, or you want to use this tool, or you want to try Webflow compiled to something else or whatever. Like you have, you want to make your own thing up. They're not going to teach you that specifically. Mike and I learned Atmel, AVR, uh, whatever, um, micro, microcontrollers. We did not learn anything about ARM ones, which I know that Atmel makes some ARM ones, but we didn't learn anything about ARM. ARM is all the rage now because of Apple. And, you know, we, you know, it'd be nice to learn some stuff about ARM. But, like, imagine just, like, they clearly gave us an, uh, a more simple microcontroller because we had to learn those skills. And we graduated without learning about ARM, without really learning about x86. We knew about x86, we knew about ARM, but we didn't learn about those. That's up to us now. And or an employer who says, you know about 
you know, the basic, you know, turning off and on of LEDs in a microcontroller, you have the basics. Here's, here's a project that bridges our old microcontroller tech to ARM, try to figure it out. And you have the tools now to learn that. So what I'm basically trying to, trying to say is, is like, don't get caught up in this imposter syndrome that, especially if you're self-taught, that school is going to teach you everything. It's not going to teach you everything because it can't. You'd be in there for 40 years and then things keep going forward. You'd be, you'd be back in there for another 40 years right after that. So like, don't be too caught up on that. But also, if we were to play devil's advocate to my own point, don't get, don't try to bite off too much that you can chew. In that NASA example with the shelf, like don't accept that contract. If someone comes to you and says, I need a full on shop, I do 10 mil a year, I need an e-commerce shop up next month, what can you do for me? You can't. You have HTML and CSS skill, you cannot, period. You might want to try and be ambitious, this and that, but imagine trying to like run 10 mil through something, something goes down, you have no idea what the hell is going on, you're going to be running around with your head cut off, it's going to be terrifying. Mike and I have been in this industry for a long time, someone came to us and said, I want to run a 10 mil a month e-commerce shop. What can you do for me? I'm going to get scared because it's like, well, we don't have anyone that does 10 mil. Like what the hell is going on here? So I just wanted to kind of point that out that like monetize your skills and, you know, push yourself out of your comfort zone to an extent. School's not going to teach you everything. Try to break that imposter syndrome, but also like kind of know where you are in your skill set and know what you want to learn and what you need to know. And don't try to go crazy. You want to, you want to make business card sites? Perfect. You want to try to push those skills into WordPress? Sure. WordPress is pretty guided. There's lots of guides out there. You want someone comes to you and wants a full custom e-commerce platform? You cannot do that because you don't have the skills, but maybe now you think, oh, maybe I should learn this stuff because there's a market for that. Yeah. I think, I think that, that, that those are really good points. I think you have to know where you're at and it's really, really difficult to know. I think that's what, that's what scares a lot of people. But like Matt said, it it almost comes naturally in the sense that like if someone comes to you and tells you to build an e-commerce site that you know is going to be processing 10 million dollars a month you're going to know like that's an obvious thing for you that you're not ready for that but if you're out there and you know again the coffee shop down the street needs you to needs to have a website up there or some fancy coffee animations or something like that that's something yeah sure it might be outside of your comfort zone but that's something you know lower stakes something that you can take on and learn from and move forward with. No one's going to die. No one's going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. That's fine. Those are like, obviously with those two examples, you know which one you're going to be ready for. Like if you're in that stage. So just because you fear that you're not, you're not going to know going out there and finding stuff and talking to people and communicating and networking and trying to find yourself a place is so beneficial because you're finally, you're going to get to that point where you're like, oh, I know I can do this, or I know I can learn that. And you're going to get to the point where, oh, I don't think I'm ready for this. Those are the things that you want to figure out early on, because that's what's scaring you. That's what's scaring you from trying. You can absolutely find something with these skills. But like Matt said, the next step would be, in my opinion, finding a CMS, content management system that works for you. And I'm not saying like, build one, or I'm not saying uh, even like augment it, like, you know, I'm not talking about building WordPress templates. I'm talking about using WordPress templates at this point. You have some HTML and CSS skills at this point. You have some UI framework skills. You have basic hosting. A framework like like uh, WordPress is a perfect step now because if you're starting to get clients, if you're starting to get to the point where like Matt was saying before, you're building the same page over and over again, like a blog post for a client. It's natural progression. Now you can monetize the skills of like, hey, 
I can give you the opportunity to create your own blog posts on your platform, or I can let you change the prices of your vegetables from your from your uh, store or whatever by yourself. So this is when, again, the next step for me, in my personal opinion, is is a CMS. With your CMS knowledge, like let's say you already have a little bit of WordPress knowledge, the next thing you might want to do is like, hey, I need to alter this CMS. Like I needed to calculate tax for me, or I need to do something else. Like I needed to do something very specific, right? To do that, you need you need some programming knowledge. This is where programming starts coming in. So JavaScript is the front-end programming language of choice most of the time. Uh, there's also PHP. It's a back-end programming language for web, web development. Those are the two things I would kind of say that alternate in this spot. So going down the JavaScript side will go towards the front-end development route. That's why I've put it on the roadmap right now. But if you want to branch out into a little bit of back-end development at this point, there's nothing wrong with going the PHP route as well. It's still used heavily on the web. WordPress uses it. There's tons of CMSs that still use it. There's still some value there, 100%. But just know that JavaScript can run on the front end and the back end, and it is the language of web development in the front end. So it's a really important step, and it is, in fact, the third pillar in web development. I was talking about HTML and CSS being the two pillars. Well, there's three in total, and JavaScript is the third, because if you know HTML, CSS, and JavaScript as a front end web developer, you know how stuff works in general about all the tools that are ever built for front-end web development. You're talking about React, you're talking about Svelte, you're talking about Angular, everything is going to be built on those three pillars. So it's important to understand them three because as soon as you get those programming concepts down, uh, like arrays, like looping, like if statements, stuff like that, those important structures, like uh, code structures that you will have to use to show and hide an element to uh, display a tax on on a certain, like, you know, calculate and display tax in the UI to, um, I don't know, create a slider even, stuff like that. Like that all requires some JavaScript knowledge for user interaction. So when a user clicks something, you want something to happen and then you want it to output some sort of information. That is, for the most part, JavaScript. Now, it can be done with many other languages, but I'd highly recommend you go into the JavaScript route because there's tons and tons and tons of opportunities as soon as you start understanding the basic concepts of the language and if you have HTML and CSS knowledge. Now, another thing too, mm-hmm. I was going to say, sorry, but another thing too is you'll start noticing you'll start noticing shortfalls in your CSS as well. So there's some things where it's almost like you need like a brain of an operation to do something. So some people will, you know, swear by CSS and, 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 you know, in the right way, you know, or in, in full credit to them, like CSS is very powerful and there's, you can make it kind of do a bunch of things that you wouldn't necessarily think right off the hop. But when it comes down to a client project, you don't want to sit there and try to learn all these advanced CSS things or little CSS tricks or little CSS, you know, hacks, if you will, whatever, to get this animation to just do this little tiny thing. Sometimes you just want, what I refer to in my own head is like the brain of the operation, which JS helps you manipulate what's going on. So there's there's ways, for example, to show and hide a div in CSS. Honestly, my opinion, it's easier, even in just logging it out, to make JS do that. So, you know, some people hate JS, some people love JS, whatever. I know it's there's like a there's a lot of thoughts about it. That's fine. But in terms of you learning, 
you're going to be like, man, how the, like, how do I get this to work? How do I do this? And by you going into, at least this is how I experienced it. So just kind of extri- describing for myself, going into learning how to you know, show high divs and do other things as well. Obviously not just that. Some of the CSS tricks and some of the CSS little hacks are a little confusing, especially for a beginner. And so I just started learning JS. And then from that, I started realizing, oh, I can kind of add like a bit of a brain to my, to my UI a bit. So it's not just divs and different elements being tossed on the page by HTML and then changed and look good, made, made to look good by CSS and then obviously some animations and stuff thrown in there. It's not just that. I can actually do stuff with my JS. So if I click on this, some other like crazy page can come flying in or some other div can come, come flying in and it can do something or I can do some calculations in here. Like I can calculate how many times a user has clicked a button or whatever the case is. Obviously the sky's the limit here, but you start realizing that you can add a brain to your layout and your layout's not just so static. And so that's kind of where, that's kind of how I learned it. And then certainly I, you know, like anything else, I overdid my JS where I was using JS too much in some of my projects and I brought it back to, okay, you know, let's, let's go back and let's rip this JS out and just do it in CSS, of course. And that's fine for refactoring for the most part, because a lot of the time you're on a deadline and you want to get something out quickly to, uh, to a, to a client. They're not going to care whether JS is the thing controlling the button in most cases or CSS. And so if you, the first thing that comes to your mind is JS, just do it, build it, whatever. If it ends up being a problem and they want it CSS for some reason in a revision, of course, but you finished it and you did show the client that. And that's, that's the key. And in this particular case, since you're, since we're kind of talking about a roadmap, you learned a little bit of JS there. And now you're, now your mind's thinking like, oh, what else could I do with this? Like I'm taking it out right now because this person wants this, like show hide or whatever to be. CSS only, but like, what could I, what else could I do with this? And it gets your mind thinking. And so that's, that's what JS is to me. It's the brain of the front end. It's the brain of the user interface. Yeah. That's a good way to put it actually. And now that you've like kind of gone through and learned some JavaScript and gone through the concepts, the basic concepts, it's also a good kind of break point or a branch point in my opinion, because you're, you, you might love it. Like you might love the JavaScript side. You might love the logic. And this is a perfect point for you to be like, okay, I love this stuff. I want to keep going down this route. I want to learn the more complex stuff like frameworks, like preprocessors, like NPM, all that stuff, like all the really complex stuff that's built on top of JavaScript, right? Or you might get to the point where you're like, I friggin' hate this. Everything about, I can't even stand to write an if statement. But You've already learned all that stuff beforehand with the HTML and CSS. You've already learned hosting. You've already learned the CMS, like how to use that, implement it. If you're more artistic or if you're more on the side of like, hey, I can create really awesome user experiences. I can, you know, lay out stuff. I think it's the perfect point for you to realize that, hey, JavaScript's not for me. Maybe I start focusing more on the UI side. I start focusing more on getting clients. I start focusing more on just creating great experiences. And I go to learn Figma, which is a uh, like a prototyping UI, high fidelity, fra- um, uh, what's it called? Wireframes or high fidelity design software. Like you can you know show a customer what the site's going to look like without building it. Uh, that's a perfect time for you to take that, you know, cut and be like, I'm going to be more on the front on the actual UI UX side of things, as well as being able to know the basics of how to lay stuff out. Because as a UI UX person, knowing how the front end works and how the flow of the DOM content flow goes is going to be a huge asset. 
when you go to a company and you design a UX UI, you're going to be coming at it from someone that already knows how to build it out. So you're going to give a developer, the front end developer that actually builds it out, a very good starting point from a person rather than a person that doesn't have any idea of how HTML and CSS work. So they're going to give some really weird, complex design that doesn't make any sense uh, for, for a UI developer because they don't know how the UI flows and how, you know, when you're responsive, there's different breakpoints and stuff like that, but you already have that kind of knowledge. So I think it's important to know where you're at. And if you really, really hate something, it's not, doesn't mean that you just can't work in this industry anymore. No, there's plenty of opportunity for you. There's always going to be a branch of some sorts. And this is one of those branches. With that, uh, the next step, in my opinion, if you love the JavaScript side of things is to maybe, and this is an optional one, but maybe go in and learn some computer science concepts. This isn't required, but if you love the programming side, learning stuff like what is a data structure, right? Like what is an array? How does an array work? will make you a better developer going forward and make you understand what's going on in the background of JavaScript. JavaScript itself doesn't really rely on you knowing how to implement a singleton pattern or how to uh, have a des- like a like essentially any sort of design patterns like a factory or anything like that. Those aren't super important for JavaScript itself, but under the hood, JavaScript for sure uses a lot of these data structures and has them implemented. So Just knowing about them a little bit and knowing how they're implemented in JavaScript can make you a better developer down the road because, again, you're going to have that same perspective that I was talking about the UI and Figma person. You're going to know how it works under the hood a little bit to the point where you can know that, hey, maybe I shouldn't use a list, an if statement for this. Maybe I should use a switch case for this because it'll be a little bit faster. You're going to make be able to make those little decisions that kind of differentiate you from just a person that just knows JavaScript and knows how to get stuff done to a person that can, hey, I can take this code and I can actually optimize it a little bit better. Again, it's an optional step because there's plenty more to learn, but it's a step you can take at this point, in my opinion. With that, I think at this point, once you understand HTML, CSS, JavaScript, CMS, it's another great point for you to monetize your skills because now you can build not only great UI, UX, business card sites, but you can start building really interesting interactive experiences. Because again, JavaScript allows you to manipulate the UI. It allows you to add a user, like a flow, maybe add some interesting animations, maybe add some interesting uh, you know, user calculation methods, maybe like, like a sales calculator or something on, on a web page. It allows you to put that extra step in for a, for a, for a customer or a, or a company that'll, that takes the website from being just a static website to a now dynamic content management system with some dynamic uh, com- com- computed elements. Now that you have that, so you, you're able to monetize those skills, the next thing for me, in my opinion, is having a good grasp of Git. Now, some people might argue that this should be, just should have been said way earlier, but I think that honestly, just you know, learning HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is first and foremost without complicating yourself with something like Git. And Git, and I'll put the CLI as well, command line interface in the same bucket. Uh, and Matt was talking a little bit about like the Vim and maybe like knowing what McDur is or change directory, like knowing how to navigate through a CLI a little bit. You don't have to, again, know the ins and outs of every single function, but knowing that, hey, I can run like a NPM install here or a, a, a change directory here. I can make a directory like this. I can, you know, touch a file, create a file in the CLI will make it easier for you to take the next steps after. 
So it's important to know that. And knowing Git will allow you to understand industry standards because now you're getting into the point where, hey, I might work in a company. I have all these skills. Now I can work in a company with a team. And Git allows you to work in a team really, really efficiently because it allows for uh, management of your files across different versions, version control. So if someone does creates a version of a file, they're writing it, and they push all their changes, and you're creating a version of that same file, and you push all your changes, it's not going to overwrite. It's actually going to tell you, hey, someone's already done this. They've already pushed a file here, and now there's a conflict. So you, in a team setting, you don't get stuff where you're overwriting someone's code. You're going to know exactly what code you're overwriting. And not only that, when you write like a bunch of code over months of time, and say, let's say something goes wrong, you need to revert back to an older set of code that was you know was working. Git controls all that. It knows, it gives you a history of your entire code database as you're committing. So again, it's something that I think is super important to know how to use at this point because it allows you to work in a team environment, which is something that's very realistic for you in your development journey. I'll say something too, um, actually as well. And, and I understand that Git, you know, is really critical and it kind of plays into my point I made before where, you know, kind of uh, you might have a bit of a guided path in which Git is like super high up on all the different job postings you're looking at. And so you want to learn a little earlier. Maybe you can, whatever. But in terms of our personal experience, Mike and I, we used OneDrive, literally, we used OneDrive for our version control. Now, there were certainly conflicts and things would happen and things would come out of sync and stuff like that because it wasn't really controlled. It was more or less just a common folder and I would work on it or Mike would work on it and I'd have to ask him if he was working on a, a file that I might be working on. So it wasn't perfect. But here's the thing with Git is that Git has a lot, a lot of functionality. I only know the basics because I only really use the basics. I only know the basics. And even then, especially if I'm working with somebody, there can sometimes be a big old disaster. I had a, I had somebody accidentally fork something because they didn't know what that was. And then they had to like merge it back in. And I didn't know they were doing that. And it was like, you know, total breakdown. And here's the thing is that took a day or two to get sorted because it was a bit of team talk. And then it was like, hey, like, what are you doing? Oh, you're doing this. Okay, we got to fix this. That's not good. You know, blah, blah, blah. All this sort of team communication, regular stuff, whatever. At the end of the day, whatever. But... Here's the thing. When it comes down to it, that Git frustration should just be about Git. If you are frustrated or trying to learn something like your HTML, your CSS, your JS, your whatever it is, your CS concepts, it, whatever, you don't want to be like panicked, like, holy crap, I don't know if this function is going to work. It might break the whole database. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you go to like, put that out, put that out there. Like you, you, you go to push it and then Git has an error. Now you're double panicked. Like, holy crap, holy crap. So what you really, like, a simple version control, especially if you're by yourself, I don't know if this is going to break this. Control copy, like control C, control V, and this is on Windows, of course. And then you just literally have a, a duplication of your of your directory. Is it super inefficient? Eh, kind of. But like, at the end of the day, you now have a duplication. Now you can go in and break the one. And if it doesn't work, you delete the one and you bring your backup back. It's the same crap that we do when we're uploading stuff in production sometimes where you put in the classic IT thing where you put in the classic, oh, I need to put in a new config file here. So I'm going to take the existing config file. I'm not going to delete it. I'm not going to overwrite it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to copy it and I'm going to call it old or I'm going to name this one old and I'll put in the new one so that the quote unquote old one is the one that was there before. Now we'll put in the new, the new config file and now 
We'll see if it works. If it doesn't, we literally just delete the new one, delete the one that's called config and delete in the name, the old, the old out of the, out of the old config file. And then, and then it'll be back to the old config. You can literally use that type of simple version control for learning. Cause I've been in again, in those situations where I'm panicking about the damn code. And now I'm panicking about the, about Git cause Git's doing something. And I don't know what I did and I couldn't sign in and I couldn't figure this out and I couldn't figure that out. And then I couldn't get HTTPS working. So now I'm messing around with Git because Git has 5,000 million functions. And it's like, what am I doing here? And then I'm also trying to learn how this function works. So I'm trying to learn that. And then someone's trying to call me because it's like, hey, where is that thing? And I'm like, well, I have it, but I don't know how to push it to get get." like chaos. So I agree with Mike in that Git is very, very, very important. I use it. Absolutely. It is very important. However, it is a tool, an advanced tool that requires its own sort of training or learning curve. And if you can avoid adding a learning curve to your existing learning curve of learning programming, you're learning programming, and then you're also trying to learn Git, that could be a recipe for disaster potentially. So my opinion, honestly, if you're learning something and you just need a backup of it, just throw it in a OneDrive or something. Just throw it in a OneDrive and just like run around and you need to copy and paste. You know, you just copy like, you know what? Like, I don't know whether the August 8th update that I'm going to do is going to break everything. Take a copy of it on August 7th, paste it in there. So you have like, you know, like project. And then again, and this is Windows project. And then in brackets, a one or whatever, or dash copy, whatever OneDrive does. Now you have a copy of it. Now you go, okay, let's try this. We can just go in here. We can play ground with it. We can break it because you're trying to learn the programming. You don't want to sit there and be like, is this a branch? Am I supposed to fork this? Hang on a second. Am I supposed to revert? How do I revert? Oh, now my credentials aren't working. And then it's chaos. And you're trying to like connect with different Git plugins and your VS code, or you're trying to use the command line or whatever you're trying to do, or you're trying to use a, like something like source tree. And we've had issues with source tree in the past where I haven't used source tree in a long time. Cause I, we weren't using Bitbucket. And then my source tree was out of date, but it worked kind of. And then it was so out of date that it worked all the way until the end and I couldn't push. And it was like, what is going on here? I did like delete source tree completely and then re put it back in all that wasted time. I could have learned how that function worked. I could have learned how that new JS thing worked. And then where it will get later. Like who cares? Especially if I'm learning myself, who cares about version control? Do your own little thing. It worked for Mike and I professionally, by the way, for several years, it worked professionally. And now we've moved on to a better tool once we learn what the heck we're doing. So that's, that's my two cents. Take it away, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that, that's why I put it here because it, that's what worked for us. And uh, it, I think it makes sense that you should focus on one thing at a time. And again, like you said, overcomplicating it with Git might be too much for you. Uh, again, this is one of those point uh, points that will probably be contended, but I'm okay with putting our, you know, our two cents here. And I, I, I kind of stand by it. So once you're getting to the point where you learn Git, you learn a little bit of the CLI, the next steps are very much like situation dependent. Because at this point, you might have a job in mind. You might have an idea of a freelance contract you want in mind. You might have a connection in mind that needs to go. And the next steps are going to be very, very focused on like, okay, do I need to learn a framework or do I need to learn how to deploy stuff better? Or do I need to learn how to, you know, connect to a backend? Like whatever's going to get you to your goal at this point is the right answer. Having said that, I will give you kind of my path down this road and you can do with it what you want. But knowing that my suggestion to you is to find out at this point what you're looking for. 
and find the path that works for you because now you're coming at it from a very knowledge base point of view. You're not coming at it from zero. You're not coming at it from zero computer skills. You already know what JavaScript, HTML, CSS are hosting. All of these skills you already have developed. So learning something new at this point is not going to be too much of an issue. I guarantee you. That's why I say with a big caveat that the the next part of the roadmap is very much up to you. But having said that, something that I would learn next, I have here, and this is I, this is kind of a mistake on my point, in my opinion, but I'll say it anyway. I have here NPM, but I don't think this is the right place for it because I was thinking like, oh, you'll learn Git, you'll learn package management, but really NPM isn't something that you should just learn for the heck of it. Uh, NPM is something you should learn with something in mind. Like Just like Matt was saying, that tool, it should be a tool for you to complete a task rather than a separate point for you to have to learn from scratch. So I'm going to scratch NPM out right now. Don't learn it at this point. Next thing is maybe a CSS preprocessor. You, you know CSS now, you know how JavaScript works, you know all that. But a CSS preprocessor like Tailwind or like SCSS or any other one that's out there, SAS, LESS, whatever, have a really interesting component where you can do all these dynamic variables inside of CSS. So imagine you have a website that needs a dark mode. Well, right now, how would you do that? You would maybe switch between sheets somehow with JavaScript, but with a with a CSS preprocessor, you can define a bunch of variables. You can define fun- functions in your JavaScript to switch between those variables, and it will automatically switch on your site. Now, there are CSS variables be built into CSS now. So you can do some of this with just basic CSS functionality. But again, this is the time to learn that functionality. This is the time to understand how the more complex functionality of CSS works. Because if you want to be a UI UX developer, if you want to continue to develop great experiences, and you want it to be efficient, CSS has a lot there for you. And stuff like Tailwind SCSS can make it easier, not super required, but can for sure make it easier for you to build out layouts. I'd actually like to put something in here, and I know that you're quote unquote, you know, scratching out your NPM, but in my case, I didn't really touch NPM because I was like, oh my God, I don't know what Node.js is, and oh my God, like, what is this? NPM, and I'll I'll tie it with the CSS preprocessors, that's why I wanted to mention it here. NPM is just, in my opinion, uh, an app store that you run from the command line, at the end of the day, kind of. And what had happened... What had happened was, this is my CSS preprocessors thing, is that I was using Bootstrap at the time for somebody's site, and I think I was sent or I required SCSS in some way, and I, at this point, this was years ago, I hadn't used SCSS ever. So maybe up to a fault, because we've mentioned this several times, that I like to learn how everything works before I use it. Probably shouldn't do that, but anyway. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take SCSS, and I'm just going to throw it into my Bootstrap. So in this case, my Bootstrap had been downloaded and then installed manually by me into a directory. And I was using that as my website, you know, home directory, whatever you want to call it. And then I manually installed SCSS into the same directory to learn the ins and outs. How do I, oh, I can set up a listener here. Okay, cool. Oh, this will, I can compile it manually or this listener will work for me. Oh, okay, cool. Blah, 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 whatever. Years ago, that's how I was doing it. But then it got to a point where I remember I wanted to work. I was on my desktop and I wanted to work on my laptop at the time. And I thought, holy crap, I'm going to have to like remember how I installed this, how I installed that, how I installed this. And then I looked for an easier way. See, this is the same, this is a sort of a pattern now where I did the same thing with JS. I did the same thing with Git. Now I need an easier way. I need a tool to do this for me. 
And the tool in this case was NPM. And so it took me a while to like sort of eventually quote unquote break down to use it. But I was like, okay, I'm going to get the NPM version or whatever of Bootstrap. I'm going to get the NPM version of SCSS. And I'm just going to, without even my project in mind, I'm going to see if I can get Bootstrap and, and SCSS working. Let's just see if I can get them working together in a blank project right now. And that's how that, that's how I started learning NPM. So I started using this, this um, need for simplicity to drive me into getting new tools, to force me into getting new tools. You know, it's annoying if, oh, I'm using Bootstrap. It makes my HTML and CSS a lot quicker. I can spin up a UI really quick. That's great. Oh, wait, I need to do some customizations. Well, I could do straight CSS, but I've been doing straight CSS for a while. Let's use SCSS. Or in this particular case, I had to use SCSS because I think I was working with somebody on this. So I had to use SCSS. And so it's like, okay, well, I can learn SCSS. No problem. Like, I'll figure it out. But like, how do I use it? So I had to install a package. Then I'm like, holy crap, this is starting to get out of control here. I started way back in the beginning of my journey of just having an index file. Then I added a CSS file. Then I added a JS file. This is just a high level of my learning over the years. Then I started adding Bootstrap, which was, you know, annoying at the fir- at first. It's rather easy, but annoying to install at first, to, you know, into this website I was working on. Then I got to install SCSS and I'm like, oh my God, like every time I go to install something, I'm going to have to remember how to install this. Like this is out of control. Could you imagine going into your phone, your cell phone, take Android, for example, that's what I use primarily. Imagine taking, going into Android and being like, man, I really need to like remember how to install Samsung Pay because that's where all my debit cards are or whatever, but I got to go into the command line and remember the package name. You know what I mean? Like it's out of like, it's, and then I have to like manually like put the, put the files in this directory and tell them how to boot up and mount the, I don't know, the fake drive or whatever Samsung Pay is doing, all that crazy stuff. I have to like memorize all this. And every single time I switch cell phones, I have to do this. No, we have it. We have the Google Play Store, right? That you go in or you go to the Galaxy App Store and whatever you, you find Samsung Pay in, in a marketplace and an app marketplace and you download it and you use it as you would. That's what kind of NPM is, but it's a tool I didn't know I needed until I needed it. And then once I needed it, I learned it. And then that's how that came to be. That's a really that's a really good point, and that's exactly why I kind of crossed it out because I think it's a tool. And you're right, CSS preprocessors is the perfect place where you might well you're probably going to run into it for the first time. So that's why I think I put it here was because like hey you'll you'll learn npm and then you'll go to CSS preprocessors, but in fact you'll use npm to create a better experience to use CSS preprocessors. You're not going to learn npm up and down. You don't need to. That's not a necessary thing right now in your career. Whether you go down the line where you're creating your own NPM package at some point, sure, you might learn a little bit more, but that's not necessary in this developer roadmap. So again, CSS preprocessors, you might use NPM, don't have to. Having said that, when you go to the next step here, which is going to be a UI front-end framework like Svelte, React, or Vue, this is where you're for sure going to be using something like NPM and Webpack as well. But again, you don't have to worry about learning Webpack fully start to finish just to use it as your, you know, package manager or as your uh, build build manager, like building your code and stuff like that. You don't have to worry about that because when you're learning Svelte, React, or Vue, you're going to get to know it a little bit to the point where you can at least use those packages. You can at least u- use them. And as you need to modify it in the complexity down the line, like... Once you start doing very complex things or you start production deployments, you might need to learn a little bit more about Webpack and NPM. 
but don't worry about it. But do worry about learning Svelte to react or view because I think it's a very, very key skill to have if you're looking for a hireable skill. If you look right now on your job po- on your job boards, local job boards, you'll be able to see which one dominates. Usually it's React that, that is different based on region. Sometimes Vue is up there. Svelte is starting to creep up, but usually React is up there almost all the time because it allows you to build very, very nice experiences, UI experiences. You can build apps, web apps, regular uh, mobile apps, anything with these kinds of skills. They allow you to do a lot of dynamic content generation. Because a lot of what you're going to be doing as a front-end web developer is actually interacting with a back-end database, pulling in a bunch of content, and then dynamically displaying that content in some sort of grid or some sort of way on your website based on what you receive. And these frameworks allow you to do that in a very efficient and easy-to-deploy kind of way. So that's why, again, it's a really kind of important distinction that you can do. In, in this part of the journey. And this is a very, very monetizable skill. Like at this point, once you are once you have a basic knowledge of React, let's say, 100% you should be earning money. Whether that be through a job or, or freelance work, doesn't matter. This is where you have to. You absolutely, in my opinion, have to take that step because you need it to continue that motivation to get to the next level. You need it to become that intermediate developer, that senior developer. And, and the next steps up to that team lead, CTO, whatever you want to, whatever you want to get to at that point, you absolutely need to learn how to monetize yourself. Now, having said, yes, you can learn Svelte, React, and uh, Vue, sure. There is another kind of branch point, in my opinion, here. I think it's very feasible for you to be like, hey, I've learned a lot of this, you know, JavaScript, all that. I know the basics of of of, uh, of code, of programming in general. I see this need of there's a lot of WordPress work, and WordPress work doesn't necessarily mean you just take a template and you put content in that template and you give it to a client. That's what we were doing before. But there's also another level of WordPress work where you can go in and optimize WordPress pages. You can go in and build templates. You can go in and create custom experiences inside of WordPress. And there's a lot of work around that. And it's a it's a fairly highly paid work too because it it requires knowledge of d- development it requires knowledge of UI UX it requires knowledge of HTML and CSS it requires a lot of different skills so this is where I think a breakpoint can be made where you can be like well I'm gonna do this instead and if you look at your job boards or if you look at your your freelance contracts and all you see is WordPress that's a great indicator for you to be like okay well then I can go into that and specialize and get my money. Like get what I'm here for, which is usually a paycheck. So again, it's up to you at this point. Like I said before, even starting this whole thing, it's going to be very determined by your goals. It's going to be very determined by what opportunities are out there for you at this very moment in your development journey. And it's going to be determined by what you want to do. I think another thing too is with something like WordPress, you're using a platform or even a community and Mike and I use communities all the time. We, Mike and I could easily put up our own podcast site and then just have like become our own podcast host and use WordPress for that or make our own thing and make sure the RSS feed's working and make our own little CMS that works for it, headless or whatever, right? Like the sky's the limit. But we use Podbean and, you know, we use Podbean just because we want 
them to deal with it. You guys deal with the support. You guys deal with this. We do the content, which you're listening to right now. I do the editing and then I ship it. And I literally want to ship it on a platform where I'm literally able to click upload. Here's the name. Here's this. Here's that. Here's the tags. Go away. I don't need this anymore. I don't need to see it. Like, I don't need the customization. I don't need the hassle. Something goes wrong. I call their support. Something goes down. They're usually on it or I've never seen them not on it. And that's it. And that goes, that goes for the case with a lot of podcast hosts, but it also goes for the case of WordPress. If you want to become a more quote unquote advanced, uh, person in WordPress, if you will, or you could become a plugin developer, you know, there's the, the, the sky's the limit there where you, like there, there's that stigma of, oh, it's just, it's just templates. It's just this, it's just that there's problems with WordPress. There's problems with every platform, but there's a huge benefit there of you being like, Hey, there's people out there that you know are using WordPress. There's going to be some market research that you can do. And if you want to make the best podcast plugin out there and charge and monetize for it, there's already a community for you. You're not just releasing a podcast plugin for any site that goes so, like on your site and you have to like market and make people come to your website to find it, this and that. You have the app marketplace, you have the plugin marketplace of WordPress at your disposal. There's going to be some organic discovery. You're, yes, you're going to have to do some marketing. And yes, of course, maybe even a website, whatever, for your plugin. But the point is, is you're utilizing the community as a tool. And that's what it is. You're adding to the community. That's why the community is so big, because everyone's adding to it. It's helping people out. So it helps people that are no-code developers out. It helps people that don't really know what they're doing with tech out. It helps people that do know what they're doing, but don't have time to build their own thing out. So you're helping people out that way and you're, and you yourself are programming and, and because you're in the WordPress sphere, if you at some point have a client project or a project you want to just spin up quickly, you're in it. So you can just use all these no code tools, or you can use all these things that WordPress has at its disposal to very quickly spin up a site for yourself. So it's very, very important, you know, to realize the power of a community. We're using Webflow for the HTML, all the things website, you know, just for HTML things right there, we have two communities, really. You have Webflow, which is, I mean, there is a community aspect, but for in our case, we're kind of using it just for the fact that they're a host and it's, I know what, I know how to use it. And it's very easy for me to make changes and stuff like that. Cause we wanted it like that. I don't want to be sitting here screwing around with something where I'm messing around with it, messing around with it. If in the future, I want to leave Webflow, fine, but I'm able to export my stuff. I'm able to export my stuff from the CMS, this and that. Webflow gives us a CMS. It gives us good hosting. It, it, we know how to use it. I can make a lot of good changes to it, this and that. I know how to optimize it for the most part. And and like, that's it. So boom, I can just go with Webflow and it's just easy because that's what we wanted. Like we, we what, what I guess I'm trying to point out is reach for the tool that is for the job. Don't reach for like the drill when you need the hammer. In this case, we wanted easy podcast uploads, boom, Podbean. Now we want easy website uh, editing access, but we want to have, do have, we want, we do, excuse me, we do want to have granular control. Then the most granular you're going to get, at least in our experience is Webflow. We already have experience with that. Boom, Webflow is it. And sure, you maybe pay a premium for it and this and that, but we're using the tool for the job that we wanted done and the job that we were able to afford in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think knowing that, skill like the the skill of knowing when to use a tool and when to build it will come with practice but that's another thing that you can kind of put into this roadmap as well and maybe this is the good place to put it is that like figuring out between building something on your own from scratch or finding a tool that will do it for you quicker and there is a certain set of skills you need to develop for that and a certain set of requirements that drive that decision 
But a lot of the time, when you're a developer on a project, you're going to have those choices constantly using a package or not using a package, you know, like using a framework or not using a framework, using this framework or that framework, that, um, that choice, that uh, educated decision that you have to make is part of being a problem solver and developer. And that's something you kind of have to embrace. And it's the same thing that Matt was talking about, like, we chose Webflow for the site because it was the right move for us because of what the content we wanted to create on it and the speed we wanted to get it out, right? There was a lot of factors in play for us to make that choice. And that's how you may have to make those decisions moving forward. And same with this kind of roadmap, you have to make the decisions based on the factors in your hands. Having said that, with your Svelte, React, and view knowledge, the next step for me, in my opinion, is going to figure out how continuous integration works or how continuous deployment works. Because as a developer that can create all these awesome front-end experiences, you need to know how to display them and how to manage them a little bit. You don't have to know the ins and outs of you know server management. You don't have to know the ins and outs of... Uh, how to cluster them and how how to you know you know put the put them in places you know have a hundred million users use them at the same time no but that's where these tools like continuous in- integration tools like Netlify, Vercel, GitHub Pages exist and knowing how to use those tools to display your projects and show that you can complete a project from start to finish start being the concept stage the stage of design to finish being the actually displayed on the web for someone to actually test out and use is a very, very key set of skills that you can show off. So when you learn how to develop a project with Svelte, learn then how to deploy it on something like Netlify. And it, it, there's a plenty of guides out there. There's plenty of situ- like there's plenty of guides straight from Netlify on how to do that. It's not very difficult, but it'll show you can take that final step into getting a project online and active. And with that, obviously, you can monetize your skills. Now, the next logical step for me is a static site generator. And this is weird because we're going all the way back to essentially roadmap point number two, HTML and CSS. The reason we want to go to this is because at the end of the day, Google, when they do a search, search engine check on your site, an SEO check on your site, are going to prefer sites that are simpler to read. And sites with just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript are going to be simpler to read than sites that have to render out content with a framework like Svelte, React, or Vue, just that. Because they what, what Google needs to do on those sites is essentially hit every action point that they see, wait for the content to be rendered, and then read that content. But with a static site, that content is pre-rendered, it's already been created, and it's stored on a server so they can just crawl the code without actually running it, if that makes sense. So that's why the shift to go back to a more simple design has started to happen. And what the awesome thing is, is that it still allows you to use the frameworks that you just learned to create these awesome experiences. But there's frameworks built on top of them to handle the server-side generation, server-side rendering stuff. Frameworks like Next.js for for React, frameworks like Nux.js for Vue, and frameworks like SvelteKit for Svelte. All these tools allow you to build really, not only really interactive and awesome experiences, but really efficient, SEOable, and easily hostable and um, scalable experiences. That's another big thing with these static sites. They're easier to scale. 
So it's a really important step in my opinion. Once you know, again, check your local markets. I almost guarantee you that Next.js is going to be a very big portion of the skills required because specifically of this. Now, with your knowledge of site generators, I think the next thing is to learn a little bit of backend, how a backend works. Because like I said before with UI and UX and stuff like that, and like I said before with learning a little bit of the intricacies of, of uh, JavaScript, learning what's under like the JavaScript compiler, learning data structures and algorithms, learning a little bit of the in-depth knowledge will make you a better developer. Well, learning a little bit of backend, how the backend works, like how authentication works, how how it actually serves you the content. I think it's important. It's an important step to make you a better front end developer because again, when you're designing a front end system, you need to at least have some idea of how the back end system is going to communicate with you. And the best way to do that is to build out a small back end project that communicates with the front end that you built out, and it'll give you that basic knowledge, that standard like okay, this is how the API is created. This is how the authentication is done. Again, as a front-end developer, you don't need in-depth knowledge. You don't need to secure for HIPAA compliance for like a, a medical website. Like you don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. You also don't need to worry about hosting it on some complex Kubernetes pad. Like you don't need to worry about the really complex stuff as a front-end developer, but it's, I think it's a very key thing to at least have some back-end concepts to make you better at communicating and creating better experiences on the front end that connect to a back end. Now, Another thing I'd mm-hmm. like to point out actually is that even if you're not using it, even if you're not using your skills necessarily professionally, like your back end skills professionally, um, it's it's a good thing to know for your own personal project. So a lot of the time you'll actually come up with ideas that you want to try yourself and whether you have time to do it or whatever, if you go to do them, you don't want to have the the need necessarily for someone to come in and do your back end because a if you're just playing around that could, that's going to cost money or b if it's a friend that's just doing it for a hobby they're not going to be in, as invested usually at, in an idea as you so it's good to just sort of know some of this stuff at least to the point where you can read the documentation and figure it out or stumble through it and even if you do it you know locally if you're just playing and you're not actually putting this out in production even if you do it locally and insecurely but then you're like hey this is something like this, this could become something. Then you can go to a professional and get it secured or get it checked to make sure it's secure or whatever the case may be, because it's hard to know all this stuff. And so you're very well going to be possibly going to someone that's just a back end dev and they'll only know that stuff. And then you only know the front end stuff at that point. But having a little bit of mix of knowledge is allows, allows you to, to just go in and say, okay, like I'll just have a real basic database. Who cares? It's, you know, it's open. It's, it's open to the public. Let's just say it's open to the public. Who cares? I'm just using it as like a management thing so I can see how I can manage my blog on this affiliate marketing site that I want to make. And you're just doing it locally, you know, on your own computer or whatever. And you're just trying to figure it out and see if you can do it. And then, and then you can say, Hey, I need some expertise here. Or you can say, you know, I don't mind doing this. You know, maybe I should learn more. And maybe you might become a full stack. Who knows? Yep, exactly. And it's exactly the right path to take if you want to become a full stack developer. Now, I I don't believe, this might be a controversial take, but I don't believe that everyone should have a be a full stack developer or full stack developers are necessarily the best thing in the world. 
because I think it kind of stretches you a little bit too thin. There's just so much to know on both ends that I think it's better to specialize and better to be in a situation where you can have one back end and one front end. But the reality is startups or even like small companies doing a bunch of testing stuff need to have full stack developers to rapidly move. Uh, because it's just easier for someone to stand up a back end and a front end real quick to do some quick prototyping. Uh, they don't have to communicate with two different people. But regardless, it's a good place for you to know if this is what you want to go down, if you if you want to go down that path. Now, having some back end knowledge is great. The next step, in my opinion, is getting some Docker knowledge. Now, Docker is a DevOps thing. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a thing for people that are working on servers not necessarily a thing for front-end developers, but more and more I'm seeing in the industry that entire development environments are being built on top of Docker so that when you come into your first job, what you'll have to do is pull down a Docker container, which will set up your back-end server, your front-end server, your your connection to your database, all of your frameworks, everything from one container that's interconnected between a bunch of different VMs, right? So, it's important to at least know how to use it. I'm not saying you have to go in and create a container, but if you go in and at least launch one of the containers, see how it works, like check out the Docker Compose file, figure out the basic concepts of Docker to be able to at least use it. Again, a tool, use the tool. Then it'll be it'll put you ahead of someone that doesn't know how to use it, obviously. And again, it's it's becoming more and more popular in the industry because it can produce reproducible production environments on local dev machines. It's a really, really key thing that's hard to do. A lot of the times, I'll give an example of like a situation where it kind of screws you. Let's say you have a different version of Ubuntu on your local machine and you install all your packages, your node, your Svelte, everything, and everything runs great. You go to production and it has a different version of Linux, same operating system. So you're like, oh, everything's going to be fine. But it deprecated something. That new version deprecated something. You install everything on there and it's different. And now you're now you're spending a whole bunch of time troubleshooting. Well, with Docker, you're able to replicate the exact environment on your production server with a reproducible container that you can share with others. And again, so that's a double thing. Not only are you getting a container that's exactly the same, so you know it's going to work on production. You're also able to then share that container with a new developer that comes on and makes onboarding a hundred times easier. Because now that developer, it doesn't, he doesn't, they don't need the same server. Like you don't have to send them a server. You don't even have to send them a laptop that that specifically requires these specific spec specifications of this operating system. No, you just send them a container and make it run it on the laptop. So it's a very important tool to know. And that's why I put it at near the end of the roadmap because it is a little bit complex and it's a little bit of overhead. But at least playing around with it is an important step. Now, last thing here, last thing we're going to talk about today. There's obviously a million more things in the roadmap that I did not talk about. And there's probably going to be controversial things that I didn't talk about, whatever. I, I can't, like we would have to be here for hours on end to actually cover everything in the front end roadmap. This is just my take on one. And realistically, you could be here for hours on this next item alone. Yes, on, and we will be for hours on this next item alone because I'm planning on a series of episodes covering this item. So stay tuned. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Web3. So this is a big buzzword right now. No one knows what it means. People that defined it don't even know what it means. But essentially, what Web3 is referring to right now for me is machine learning and any sort of crypto blockchain development stuff. And the Web3 portion of it for the crypto and blockchain development is essentially a 
abstracted layer allowing you to communicate with the blockchain, whether that be Ethereum, Solana, there's plenty of blockchains out there that support this abstracted Web3 layer that allows you to communicate, pull data, write data, interact with contracts on the blockchain. Now, this all sounds like gibberish. I understand. But having all these skills that you've developed before it, there is no difference in now going and going down the path of Web3. And I I suggest you at least take a look because there is a lot of opportunities in this path. It is weird. It's complex. It's a strange environment, but there is money to be made. There is crazy projects to be created. There is tons of potential here because it allows for decentralized, essentially decentralized, um, publicly accessible databases that are transparent. So imagine a Facebook. Now they're going to be doing this. So this is kind of an imagination that's probably going to come true, but I don't know how how far they're going to go. But a Facebook where you can go in and view all the internal transactions that have ever happened there. So who changed what role to what? Who gave money to who? Like everything that happens on a blockchain, a publicly decentralized blockchain is accessible and readable by the Web3 layer. So there's so much room there for data analyzation. There's so much room there for interaction. There's so much room there for really awesome experience building that is stupidly transparent. Like if you want to if you want to build trust with an audience, you do it on the blockchain. You make everything accessible not only by visual representation that you've created, but by the fact that they can themselves, your customers can go in and find it themselves. Find what you're doing to with their data. So there's a lot of positives that can happen with the blockchain. It's not fully there yet. The technology is still being flushed out. There's still issues, 100%. But the reason that I'm saying it now is because it's moving and it's moving quickly. And if you're at the point where you understand a lot of the development stuff that we talked about and you're thinking like, I want to do something crazy, Web3 is where it's at. I'm telling you, like I'm announcing it right now. We're, we're working on a contract right now in, a, in the Web3 space. And it is crazy. It's super fun. Uh, the, the, the paradigm of development is different. It's more modern. It's all asynchronous work. Like, and I'm only talking about the contract that we're working on. Obviously, there's more traditional Web3, but there's so many opportunities out there. I'm telling you, just it's a really interesting space. I'm going to, again, we're going to have an episode. I'm already started writing the show notes all about Web3 and what it is and how to use it and what it can actually do today. So stay tuned for that. Definitely subscribe to the podcast. But for now, at least look into it. I'm staying out of that one. <laughs> I'm staying out of it right now. I'm not saying I'm staying out of Web3, but we could talk for like hours. Mike and I were talking about some Web3 stuff before and it went off. It, this podcast recording was pushed back by like an hour and a half. <laughs> so look up Web3 on your own time, please, as I will. Or, or <laughs> wait for our podcast where we will actually talk about it for hours. Correct. Yes. But yeah, uh, I think that's it, Matt. Uh, you want to roll up the old conclusion? Yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it's been a while since it's been Mike and I for a while. Uh, we've done lots of interview episodes, which has been great. We have a couple more scheduled as well, but we're going to try to start putting in more just Mike and I episodes, which are sort of more, I don't know, I, I consider them like the instructional stuff, the instructional manual stuff, even though sometimes we do go off the rails and talk about some random thing. But 
we're going to try to do a, a mix. We're not becoming just an interview show. I wanted to kind of put that out there. We're not becoming just an interview show. We want to have a mix of episodes. So, and, and also like, let Mike know what you prefer. Just interviews, us two, a mix, what the mix should be. Cause we're just trying to, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to uh, make it a good content plan for 2022, I suppose. But anyway, remember, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our two, the $3 tier patrons. Excuse me, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrett from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web self-made web designer at selfmadewebdesigner.com tim from the web hacker on thewebhacker.com dl ford from dlford.io bib hashtag from nine block media on nineblockmedia.com jason from geek life radio via geekliferadio.com michael curie from mc web studio via mcwebstudio.ca magnus from yesweb via yesweb.se and jeff from twitter via at the rithic feel free to leave a comment or review in the platform that you are listening to this on and this outro will sign us off been listening to html all the things podcast web development web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on facebook instagram and patreon at html all the things and on twitter at html everything until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.